Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. Yeah, before I begin, though, I do want to take the moment to honor and thank uh, Pastor Adam. You know, it's definitely a privilege and honor to be here to deliver God's word. And, you know, that doesn't come easily. I know trust doesn't come easily, but, um, you know, this wouldn't be able to be happening unless Pastor gave me the space for this today. So I just want to thank him and honor him. And also, yeah, we just, we just want to bless um, what's going on in Belize, the Lebecki family and Monica and all the partners in Belize. We know God's moving powerfully. We've already been seeing some stuff on Instagram. So, yeah, we just want to, you know, agree with whatever God's doing there. We just want to bless them and send our prayers out to the Belize team. So, yeah, you know, um, it's been not even a year yet since Tina and I joined Rescue. And, you know, we, we love the season we're in right now. Tina and I always talk about it. And one thing that we see is that um, God's moving powerfully. There's testimony after testimony. We see individuals aligning their lives to God, and we're seeing breakthrough, healing, and just the house getting in order, and things just coming in alignment. And you know, in a span of like just six months, we're just seeing so much happening. And also then corporately, we see this hunger rising in, in, our, in our family here, a hunger for um, more of God's power to move powerfully, um, to be an impact to our region, to our spheres of influence. And there's also like a hunger increasing for the supernatural, supernatural move of God to come you know, on, on, on this place. So that's awesome. And to me, that's encouraging. So in that light, what I see is that we're kind of in this equipping season. Um, the way um, pastors been preaching these days, and even in Life Group, how he's teaching about the spiritual gifts. Um, and even like Brother Peter Newberger, who came last month, who blessed us, his word about how the church, the ecclesia, we're, um, we're actually new images of God, and we have the assignment to respond to the groanings of creation, and it's on us to set creation right, and we have a, a mission. So all these things, I feel like there's an equipping going on. So I just want to add to that conversation today. That's all I'm here to do. Um, so today, I want to talk about the, um, spiritual authority. Um, spiritual authority, I love this topic. It's a very like near and dear to my heart because... Um, you know, I became a Christian in my late 20s, and um, at that time I was loving the Lord, I was part of a church, I'm doing everything I had to do, and things were great. Um, but a few, few years in, I was, I don't know, I, I kind of hit a wall. I felt like, man, there's got to be more. You know, I was, I was serving, I was loving Jesus, I was reading the Bible, I was in, in a Christian community, but I don't know, something felt like this is not enough. And, you know, because, you know, I... You know, we go, to, we go to church, we serve, we do all the things we're supposed to do, but then outside of that, sometimes, I don't know, I feel like my life doesn't look that much different from the world. You know, I respond to the, the problems in the same way. I feel like powerless sometimes, or, um, yeah, I don't know, like even like the way we pray, sometimes I felt like my prayers didn't have any power and effect. So I remember, this, I remember praying this prayer to God. I said, God, I'll be honest. It's getting a little boring being Christian like this. I'm a little bored. Like, is this it? And in his grace and in his favor and him listening to me, um, he lined me up with a teaching on spiritual authority, and that changed everything. Once we know our spiritual authority, we know our identity. It unlocks our destiny. And we're so much more. We're so much more than just living a cleaned-up life. We're meant to be more than just a cleaned-up version of ourselves. So that's what I want to talk about today with spiritual authority. And you know, it's great. It's great that you know, we want to we see God move powerfully and we want to be participating in that. But we, gotta get, we, got, we need to establish a healthy theology on spiritual authority. Because one, 
The only way to be effective and move with God's power is with spiritual authority. But the only way to steward it well and not abuse it and mishandle it and misapply it, we need to understand spiritual authority as well. So in other words, when we exercise our spiritual authority, not only do we release the power of God, we also represent the person and character of Jesus. So all glory goes back to him. So we got to get this right. It's kind of like, um, you know, when we wear, when, you know, we, we deal with government authorities, you know, cops, FBI, military, you know, they got the badge and uniform. You know, they got, they got rights that normal civilians don't. They move and operate in a way they could do things that we can't. But let's say I'm wearing a badge and I'm, I'm doing something. You guys don't respond to DK. You don't see my face and go, oh, that's DK. We got to move out of the way. You see the badge. And that's what has power for me to do things. So in reverse, I, whatever I do reflects the organization that's behind me, not myself. And it's the same thing as being ambassadors of the kingdom. We've got to be like ambassadors. And we've got to move, move with Jesus, his power and his authority. But we also have the re- responsibility to represent him well. So what is spiritual authority? Like, how do we define that? So the pastor who first taught me about this, uh, he used this illustration, and it was very helpful for me. Um, so think about your dream car. Just think about it right now, your favorite car. I don't know, maybe there's some Beamers out there, some G-Wagons, whatever. Um, I can't deny the Asian boy in me. I'm thinking of a Toyota Supra. <laughs> so think of, like, yeah, think of your favorite car. You're sitting behind the wheel, and it has so much potential, right? You, got, you have a vision for it. It's going to be fast. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be beautiful. And you turn on the ignition, it doesn't start. So you get out, you go to the front of the hood, you pop the hood, the battery's dead. That's who we are alone. We're spiritually dead batteries. We can't, we can't, we can't do it on our own. So what do we do when you have a dead battery? You go to the back, you grab some um, jumper cables, and you gotta look for that power source, the, the live battery that, you could, you could, that could jumpstart your car. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the resurrection power. He's the only one that could jumpstart our spiritual life and, and charge us and keep us charged. So that's kind of like how spiritual authority is. Alone, we're dead. But we need the power of Jesus Christ in us to, to move and flow. So let me take this illustration a little bit further. Um, so the cable, the jumper cables. It's important, right? We can't jumpstart our car without the cables. But we're not going to go and admire how great our cables are, how powerful it is. If there's no source, you hook it up to a log, nothing's going to happen. The cables are like our faith. Our faith's important, but our trust is not in, in how strong our faith is. Our faith is not in our faith. It's in what you connect your faith to. So, you know, no matter how hard we pray for something, how loud we believe in it, how much we repeat the same thing over, without Jesus behind that, that's just incantations. There's no power in that. That's dead. That's religion. So we've got to understand where does the source come from? Because alone in our flesh... The most we could accomplish is through our ambition, is through our willpower, is through our striving. And we could get a lot done through that. But don't you want a life where God's in the equation and so much more is done beyond our willpower? And, you know, this is important because I think what happens is when we pray for God to move in certain situations, even really hard ones, we're going to face situations where it's going to be greater than ourselves. It's going to be even greater than what we have faith for. And if you don't understand spiritual authority, we're going to start praying through the lens of the problem and we'll start adjusting our prayers and not praying through the perspective of God and what he has to say about the situation. 
So spiritual authority gives us the heavenly perspective where we pray from heaven to earth to shift things in the atmosphere here. And I'm not just talking about signs and miracles and wonders. Those are all great. Those are powerful. But it's even the little things like, like you facing a, a temptation of sin and you saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Or you ca- capturing a lie in your head saying that does not align with what the Father has said and you just reject that lie. Even just loving others. We, we don't have the capacity to love without the power of Jesus. So we want everything we do to be charged on God's strength and not running on our own flesh. Okay, don't worry guys, I got, I got the Bible prepared too, so let's go to Mark 11. This is going to be um, kind of like the anchor passage of today. Um, we're going to start at verse 12. I know this is a King James house primarily, but I'm going to be reading through the ESV. If that makes anyone nervous, uh, email Pastor Adam. I'm sure it'll be okay. Um, Okay, so let me set the stage here. So Mark 11, we'll start at 12, but before this, this is where Jesus has his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So this is like the last days leading up to the cross. So I must be thinking, if this is his final days, like there must be a sense of urgency in Jesus. Not panic, because Jesus is never nervous. It's not panic, but more like like a laser focus. Like, I only got a few more nights with my boys. Like, do they get it? Do they get what I'm trying to do here? Are they going to understand what's going to happen? So my perspective is everything that happens from Mark 11 on, it's going to be um, really, really critical. It's like we got to hold on to this. we got to grasp on to this. So it's interesting the, up the, the sequence of events that happens right after he enters Jerusalem. Um, okay, so let's start at Mark chapter 11, verse 12. I'll read through it. So on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the seasons for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat from you again. And and his disciples heard it. All right, so this is the lesson before the lesson. Jesus sees a fig tree. It looks like it's supposed to have fruit, but it has no fruit. So he curses it. What he's revealing here is that no matter how cleaned up and put together you, you could look on the outside, if it bears no fruit, it means nothing. It's dead inside. You know, fig trees, um, if you remember the first time we see fig leaves in the Bible, it's when Adam and Eve covered themselves up. So it's, it's, it's like a connection to that. It's saying it's just, that's just, that's just on the outside. That's on the outside. He's, he's giving a new spiritual eyes to his disciples that it doesn't matter how, how well put together you are outside. I'm looking on the inside. And also the evidence of what's on the inside is the fruit. So that's, that's the first act he does. He curses the fig tree. Okay, let's move on to verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but ye have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. So this is the second thing that Jesus does. He first exposes the front on the outside. Then he goes on the inside and he demands purity. He cleanses his temple. And what he's doing is he's setting a, a standard for his new temple, his new church, because that's going to be his, his disciples. It's going to be us. We're going to be the new living temple. 
And he needs to set this straight. He needs to set this straight before we understand spiritual authority and we could flow in that. So what he's saying is those dead to religion will look nice on the outside but will bear no fruit. Those alive in Christ will be clean on the inside and the evidence is in bearing of the fruit. And I love this setup because a few nights later, this totally aligns with um, his teaching in John 15 when he goes, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So even this, he's saying, without me, you can't get this done. Without me, you can't even be clean inside. Without me, you can't even bear fruit. It's all about being connected to Jesus. Okay, let's go to verse 19. So this is the part about spiritual authority. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And they passed by in the morning, and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So this is a teaching on spiritual authority because if you go ahead to the next passage, that very thing is challenged. All the religious leaders gather and they go, by what authority are you doing these things? It's awesome because Jesus doesn't even care to answer it. You know, it's a, it's a trap. So he sets a trap back to them and they don't want to answer because they know it's a trap. So he goes, then I got nothing to say either. See, he doesn't care because this lesson is for his people, it's for his disciples. Those are the people that's going to carry it on. If, if you don't have belief in your heart, it doesn't matter. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying that you could call a mountain and cast it to the sea if you just say it. And moving mountains, similar to today's culture, in the, it was a Jewish expression for impossible obstacles. So he's saying in front of any impossible obstacles, you have the power to overcome it. And what does he say? He says, like, how does he say you got to do that? He says, have faith in God. Do not doubt, but believe. What you will say will be done. Whatever you ask in prayer, it will be yours. But if you take this, these words out of context and kind of let it stand alone, this could be totally misunderstood. It kind of sounds like you can pray anything you want. As long as you really believe it, it'll happen. It's like the name and then claim it, right? But no, that's not how it works, right? We all know that. That's incorrect. So we need to consider a couple of things in this teaching to get the context. Like who was Jesus talking to? You know, who was he addressing? Who was watching him for three years? And how was Jesus modeling his ministry this whole time? We need to see it ourselves within the right context to fully receive what Jesus is saying here. So I'm going to break it down to three core principles for spiritual authority. Number one, our confidence. Our confidence in, in knowing that God will respond and he will hear our prayers and things will happen. It all comes from knowing who we are and our identity. Access. Our access is only through Jesus Christ. Our access to the throne, our access to even go to the Father and ask him, that's only through Jesus Christ and our union with Jesus. Success. The key to our success, success and breakthrough and things actually happening when we pray for it, when we, when, we, when we go after it, that comes from seeing what the Father is doing, knowing the Father, seeing what he's doing and joining in on what he's doing. So I'm going to go a little deeper into these three, three principles. So let's start with identity and inheritance. Our confidence in wielding the authority of Jesus Christ comes from knowing our identity. Identity is 
is foundation. This is where we got to start with everything. It's the bedrock. Um, I, have, I have an uncle, like my, my dad is a, one of three brothers and the oldest one, uh, my uncle, he lives in Queens and I would humor him all the time because um, he's really into history, Korean history and like, I'm a Kim, David Kim, but believe it or not, not all Kims are the same. <laughs> and he's so proud about like our kids. So if you, if you look into the, like, the Korean genealogy, like Kims have like a type of Kim. So Korean people go, oh, what kind of Kim are you? And there's another like whatever. And you know, honestly, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but my uncle, he's so proud because he's like, oh, we're one of the eight original Kims that's from the royal line, blah, blah, blah. And he's so proud. And I humor him and know that he's calling each other royalty. But I'm like, I mean, I don't, I don't see that in my bank account, so I don't know why that really matters. But, but, but there's something to that. There's something like he's so proud of that. Like it gives him like a, like a backbone. And I'm like, I think there's something there, like a spiritual element to identity. And you know, in today's modern culture, we love to glorify that individual hero narrative, right? Like the rags to riches, um, the self-made man, you know, all those things, the underdog. And I'm not hating on that. And there's anomalies to that. People do that, and that's great. But that's not really how the world works either. You know, if you look at the world in reality, your identity, who your father is, and your inheritance, what he gave you, will get you much farther than what you can accomplish on your own. That's just how the world works. And I think it's because we operate under a God-designed principle here. See, even though right now we're seeing a fallen, fallen corrupt version of it through nepotism and even the creation of race, which is a, which is a man-made construct that's, that's just demonic, um, those things are like a skewed version of, um, of um, how relationships work. I think God built a system through relationships. Everything is in a relational framework, and that's still operating in today's world. So identity is tied to relationship, not accomplishment. That's why we see the devil like doing, like attacking identity so hard these days. I mean, he's always been, but we see it so much in your, he sees it so much in your face now, right? Like, like confusing children and their gender, their gender identity. Because if they get their biology wrong, how can they even accept and receive that they were created perfectly through God and they have a purpose, right? We live in the most fatherless generation. You know, trying to disrupt families and have fatherless generations so that we don't know who, what our identity is and make that weak. Look at how, enemy, how the enemy attacks Christians. Even though our old self is dead to the cross and we're reborn in Christ, he loves bringing up the past. He loves reminding you, this is who you are, this is who you were. Yeah, it's because he doesn't want us to know who we are really today. So identity is powerful. So let me, let, me, let me tie a spiritual authority with identity through the biblical narrative and kind of see how this flows into our story as people of, of God. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of tell this narrative through like a, like a, like a movie or a three-act play. Um, I'm not doing it for dramatic effect, but there's a power in storytelling, the way the stories are structured, and I want you guys to connect with it because storytelling helps you relate and connect and relate to the, to the characters and the themes of the story. So I'm gonna kind of break it down like that. So first we'll start with the prologue. This is the way beginning, this is Genesis 1, the original plan. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see the words dominion, subdue? That's, a, that's authority language. That's having authority over creation. You see um, in the few verses ahead how God brings all his creation in front of Adam. He wants to see what Adam names them. Naming something, that's an expression of authority. And this next point, I'm going to have to credit um, Brother Abner because Tina and I were at a conference last month and he, he touched upon this exact thing. So thank you, Abner, if you're listening. Um, but it's important because if you, today, if you hear things like dominion, authority, those are like trigger words, right? And it, it's because it's we, um, we, we look at the Bible through the lens of our, our hurts, our pain, our history. And we're, we're really like distorting what these words really mean. But this is a biblical concept. Dominion is a biblical concept. So we've got to get to a place where the Bible is where we start. This is the starting point. We've got to look at world, the world through the lens of the Bible, not the other way around. But what does he say here in the Bible? He says that God created man in his own image, in his likeness, and then let them have dominion. So super important to know that even though there's authority, it's a, it's a language of power and subduing creation, it has to be in the image of God, in the context of his character. So what's his character? God serves creation. He's a servant, right? So we need to understand authority is powerful, but it's for the use of serving creation. Okay, so let's go to Act 1. So this is where the story begins. You know, the background was man's design or, intent, or intentional purpose was that we were supposed to wield the power of God, dominion in our hands, and we were supposed to rule earth with it, rule creation with it. But we start with a world that's fallen, and that authority is no longer in our hands. It's in the hands of Satan. If you look at the scripture, you know, he's, he's referred to this kind of language over and over. In Luke 4, when um, Jesus is in the wilderness and, and Satan trying to tempt him, he says it straight up. He goes, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. See, Adam, when he disobeyed, he lost his power, he lost his authority, and it was given over to Satan. He has legal dominion over earth at this time. Other parts of scripture um, give, the, give the devil these titles. Prince of this world, God of this age, prince and power over the air. That's all legal, legal dominion over the earth. And I'm, I'm going to nerd out for a sec on why, I think this is so cool, why Adam's disobedience loss is consequences loss of authority. It's because if you, if you know God, God is a, a designer of law and order. Everything he creates has order, law, and we have to follow it, right? And I think we, we moralize disobedience and obedience too much. All obedience is, obedience is is that we're following the way things should work. We're reading the instruction manual and we're living by that. And think about what authority is. Authority is a design of obedience. What's underneath has to align with what's on top and then has to align with what's on top. So just the design of authority itself is about obedience. So of course, when Adam disobeys God, he's falling out of the design of what it's supposed to do. So that's why you lose authority. So we went against the very design and nature of it. 
Okay, but let's move on. This is when the story gets interesting. Things are brewing. Here comes Jesus, fully man, fully God, laid aside his divinity. And he starts talking about the kingdom in this broken world. And he starts demonstrating power and authority. He's doing things that other men haven't seen people, a man do before. He defies natural laws. In Mark 1, you hear people whisper, what is this, a new teaching with authority? And then as he's, as he's teaching the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom, he's collecting a posse to follow him who's doing the same thing. When they're about him, they start, they start behaving like Jesus. And then he starts telling his people about this kingdom and the keys. Matthew 16, 19, and that will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Luke 22, 28, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. You know, but the, at this point, disciples have no idea what he's talking about. They're thinking like, oh man, Jesus is going to overthrow Rome. Israel's going to be powerful again. And they're thinking we're going to be leaders. We're going to have the keys to this kingdom. They're already planning out their future. But Jesus is pointing to something greater and bigger and eternal. He's talking about the authority that Adam lost will be restored. Okay. The final act. I call it the, the brilliance of the cross. So Jesus goes to the cross. He sheds his blood, lays down his life. And it was for our salvation. But it had other implications. If you read Colossians 2.13, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to a cross. And then this part, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is awesome. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's like the whole heavens watching. All the principalities are watching. What's going to happen? Did Satan win? Did Satan, did Satan defeat Jesus? But no, him, that plan backfired. Him going to the cross and being raised for the dead actually unseats Satan. He loses authority. And God makes a public spectacle of them. And that's not all. Ephesians 3, 10. His intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only did he unseat Satan and get the keys back, he tossed the keys back to us, the church. The one who made the mistake in the first place. He gave us a second chance. And that's the manifold wisdom of God. When everyone thought that, that thing you created in your image Look at what it did. It totally failed, but it was always in his plan that it will be restored back to us. And that's his wisdom revealed through us. It's the church. So even though there's principalities at work today, yes, there's, there's darkness, there's demonic influence. They don't have the keys anymore. It's in our hands. And we have the power as a church, as the ecclesia, to push back darkness, to topple these principalities, to declare the name of Jesus over things. So this is a job. So, what's, so what happens now? So this is the epilogue, the powerful church. You know, before Jesus dies, he tells his disciples that um, he's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, 
will do greater things than he. And then after he comes back from his resurrection, he tells him, go in Acts 2, go wait. Wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you see that happen, right? So they wait, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then tongues break loose. They're going out to the streets, declaring the name of Jesus. People are getting healed. A lot of stuff happens. And this is how Acts 2 ends. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and disturbing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. The day by day, that's still today. We're part of this. We're part of this addition. So this epilogue, we're in this. Do you guys, do you guys believe that? Like, this is our story. This is our heritage. You know, the second you're reborn in Christ, you're no longer closer to your, your, your parents or your family. We're tied closer through Jesus than even your own bloodline. That's who we are. Our identity is received, it's not earned. And to me, that's great news because I'd rather receive the authority that God has for me than create some janky version of myself on my own. Yeah, so, yeah, I think this is where confidence comes from. If you start here, there, we get like a spiritual backbone. You know, we feel like we can stand. It's like when you get a bread handshake and a bread hug, you feel a little good. <laughs> okay, so the second principle, union with Christ. This is all about access, access to the throne, access to all things in heaven. Ephesians says we have every heavenly blessing, and it's only because of Jesus. It's only through our union. We didn't earn this. So I'm going to go read through Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 next. Um, but before I get into that, I want to share a little bit about Ephesians 1 and 2, or Ephesians in general. So Ephesians is break up into two sections. The biblical scholars like to call Ephesians 1 and 3 the indicative which means who we are through the work of Jesus. It's Paul declaring who we are. It's like he's forming our identity. He's shaping us and reminding us who we are, strengthening us, it's empowering us. And then chapters four and six is the imperative. That's where Paul gives us the motivation and instruction for action. You see, empowerment comes before the assignment. Assignment doesn't come before the identity. This order matters, it's important. Before we serve the kingdom, we need to get it settled into us that we are deeply loved beings. Before you do, you are. You see, if we don't get this settled, there's going to be a mixture in, our, in things we do, in our ministry, in our work, in our relationships. We're going to try to draw identity from those places, and it's not pure. So we got to get on sound foundation in our identity. Because those other things, you build your identity on that, it's shaky. It's not going to sustain us. It's going to fail us. So, if, so I recommend reading Ephesians 1 to 3 if you're like, man, I need like a pick-me-up. I need, I need like, like to you know, stand up straight. Read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. That's a great place to go. Okay, so I'm going to read through Ephesians 1 and 2. Pay attention to the, the language around union, union with Christ. I threw up th those words up here. So let's start with chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making us known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, ye also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I'm going to just jump ahead to chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not by your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision what what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ you have once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. And he might create in, in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both have access in one spirit to the Father. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So what does this mean? What does union with Christ mean? For us as it goes to spiritual authority number one humility we didn't earn it we can't boast in it we can't boast in the things we do we can't boast in the power that we see or the impact that we have because it's all christ and it's our union with him on the flip side of that on the flip side of pride your insecurities your inadequacies inadequacies don't matter because it's not about us so your personality your experience all that it doesn't matter if Jesus gives you an assignment, you're empowered to do it, regardless of what you are, what you've seen. It's all about the one we're connected to. He is the vine, we are the branches. 
You know, even being in union with Christ, it's everything. Like the fruit of the Spirit, you know, we want, we want to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We want to see patience, kindness, love, peace. But we try to, sometimes we try to like muster up our own patience. It's like, I got to be patient because I'm, I'm a Christian. But it's not our patience. <laughs> it's Jesus' patience. Put on Christ. It's him that will do it. Even the way we love, it's like, oh, we got to muster up love. No, just yield to Jesus. Yield to Jesus in you and his love will flow. Yeah, just, it's, it's so much easier. And the same goes with spiritual authority. When we yield and behold Jesus, we will act with power and spiritual authority. If God gives us an assignment and we obey, he will empower us. Our personality, our experience, our knowledge doesn't matter. So humility. Okay, number two, posture. Union with Christ and having access to God through him is all about our posture. We, we can approach God, we could approach his throne as firstborn sons. Jesus was the firstborn. He has first, firstborn rights. So because we're in union with him, we have the same rights. Think about like the most powerful ruler of a nation, a king, a president, a prime minister, whatever. Who, who's the only people in his life that could just like storm into his bed at night and wake him up and ask for something? It's children, right? He had no problem with his children doing that. That's us. That's our posture when we approach God. So what does that mean? When we pray, when we want things to move, we don't got to beg. We don't got to plead and make a case. That's not our posture. God's answer is yes and amen. Ask and you shall receive. So that, that makes a difference. Our identity, our posture, the way we approach the throne. So last principle. What is the Father doing? So our key to our success, success and things moving and things happening is understanding what the Father is doing. You know, our identity, that's not earned, that's not on us. Even our access, our union, we had nothing to do with it. But this is one part where we could develop. We could work on this and we could grow in this. So Jesus modeled this, his whole entire ministry. The reason he came to earth and didn't act as God and laid aside his divinity and act as fully man is because he was creating a blueprint for us. This is how you do it. This is how you approach God. This is how you flow in the spiritual authority and how you, how you bring forward the kingdom. So let's look at what Jesus did. It's all over John the book of John, he goes, in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that Son does likewise. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own, and I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. John 12, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me as Himself, giving me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. John 14, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The word that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His work. So if Jesus did this, how much more are we supposed to do this? Even that moment where he made that fig tree shrivel up, it's because he heard the Father say, do that, and he did it. So how do we develop our years for the Father? A few things. Create time and space. Intimacy. 
It's just like any other relationship. If you want to know the voice of someone, you want to know his will, know his heart, you got to spend time with the person, right? There's no shortcuts to intimacy, but you can make it a priority. And over time, I mean, I'm still growing in this too. I, I, got, I got so much more to go, but his voice becomes known through your time with him. And I think what happens is like, we have our own heart and he has his heart and through that intimacy, it becomes one, one heartbeat. So then we don't even ask like, God, is that you? It's like, no, my desire is his desire. So we could just have confidence in the things that uh, we want to do. One thing with intimacy though is don't make it a means to an end. Don't go after intimacy because you want something from it. This is the reward. Intimacy is the reward. This is everything. This is what you have access to God. You could be with him. You could be in relationship with him. This is, this is the reward. So don't seek upgrade. Just seek him. And all these things will follow. Number two, the word, the Bible. There's wisdom in that. How do I know God's will? Well, some of it's in the Bible, right? And I think one good way to know is whatever Jesus commanded the disciples, we could assume that's his will. So let's see what, what are some of the things he commanded in the Gospels. He tells the disciples, heal the sick, cast out demons, make disciples, build the church, love your neighbors, love your enemies, forgive others, proclaim the message of the kingdom, come to me, I'll give you rest. So even rest, deny self, take up our cross, follow him, don't be afraid, don't fear, serve others, serve the, serve the least. These are all his commandments, that means this is his will. So we got to believe that when we do these things, there's, a, there's authority there, there's power in that. Okay, and uh, practice. Just, just take steps of faith. Um, if you feel like you heard God speak to you, you heard his will, just give it a try. We're not going to be perfect, but I think the more we just take steps of faith, we'll, we'll learn. Mistakes are okay. I think more is done from the fear of making a mistake than just doing it and getting it wrong. And also just undergird that with humility. You know, if you do it in a humble way with humility and it's out of love, then even if nothing happens, even if you pray for someone for healing and they don't get healed, it's okay because if you lead in love, they'll feel loved. You don't fail if the person is loved. And the last one is community. We need to do it in community, in a faith community, because together in strength, that's where we could hear God more clearly. We could discern for each other. We could, we could even like coordinate the same things and see how God's moving. So community is super important. Okay, so what does this all mean? Spiritual authority. It means we are powerful individuals that make up a powerful church. That's it. And how do we, what, what do we take away from this? Number one, we are not victims. We are not powerless people. We are not weak to our sins and temptations. We are not weak to our problems. And I'm not trying to minimize the issues and the hurts and pains that we face in life, but I'm trying to help you increase who you are in Christ, that you're bigger than every problem you have, everything you face. Peter said that you are given everything you need that pertains to life and godliness through knowledge of him. You know, while in jail, Paul said that he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He didn't say he's a prisoner of the prison system. So I think many times, you know, I think the solution is this. It's just breaking out of your victim mentality. You know, a lot of times it's like, I hear a lot of language about like, oh, I'm, I'm just a slave to my addiction. I can't break that or um, to my temptations or this person in my life or my financial you know, situation. I'm not, I'm not, once again, I'm not minimizing that, but 
I think the solution is more in breaking out the victim mentality and fixing your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, off yourself. Know that you have firstborn rights as a son. Listen for God's voice. And if you move in spiritual authority, you step into that and step in and push through, there's victory on the other side. You got to just push through with authority. And we know there's victory because Jesus won it on the cross. It's not even a question. It's not an if that there is a victory. So yes, yeah, so number one, know that we're powerful. We're not victims. Secondly, let's have expectation for the supernatural and impossible. I think together, Rescue Church and whoever, whoever brothers in the faith, brothers and sisters in the faith, we should have expectations for supernatural power, for healing, for breakthrough, and for impact. It doesn't matter if it's two of us, 20 of us, or a thousand of us. We should have great expectation that for the kingdom to move powerfully wherever we go. Amen. And I think the key is, let's start with God in the equation first. Let's first start with God. Instead of starting with us and what we think we could do and then add sprinkle God on top of it. Let's flip it. If we start with God in the equation first, like what can't we dream of? And last, uh, this is the most important one, I believe, is remember Genesis 1 and the image of God. Authority is used for service. Authority is used to reflect the character of God. Like Jesus, the servant, who had all the authority and all the power in the world. He, was able, he could even like call down the angels to destroy whoever was in front of him. But what did he do on his last day? He got down his knee and he, he washed feet. So that's the picture he's painting. Heidi Baker, we're at a, um, a conference, Tina and I, the other week, and Heidi Baker was there. She said, where there is love, there is authority. Where there isn't love, there is no authority. I think there's power, though. I think if you step out of love, you step out of the authority of God, but you could still have power. You could still dominate people. You could still manipulate people. You could still have influence, but you don't have a choice. If you're not in the power under the kingdom of God, you're under the kingdom of darkness, and you're flowing that. So let's make sure, let's make sure we love first and operate under the kingdom of God and not fall out of that grace. So yeah, so let's be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, move in power with authority, with love, and with hearts, the servant hearts, hearts of servants, and let's represent Jesus well. Okay, let's pray. Yeah, I just want to take a moment. You know, if there's any areas in your life where you felt like I wasn't living into my identity, I wasn't believing who I really was. I was choosing the lies over the truth. I just want to give you some space to just, yeah, repent. Invite Jesus there. And just do like a, uh, kind of like a step into who you are, into your identity, into your authority. And for those of you who, maybe someone, someone here didn't receive Jesus Christ yet, this invitation is there for you. It's free. 
You could have all the heavenly blessings through your union with Jesus if you just receive him as your Lord and Savior. So I just want to open up that invitation as well. You could be a new creation in Jesus. Your old self could die with the cross. And you will have everything you need to live a life here with godliness. So Father, we just thank you. We thank you for almost how easy you make it. (laughs) It's like you did all the work and then you gave us all the benefits. And that's just a reflection of your love, your heart for us, and just who you are, that's your being. So Father, yeah, we just want to step into that. And we just ask for just an increase of, of faith, an increase of expectation, an increase in, in strengthening our body so we could see some, yeah, real things happen for the kingdom. Father, I just want to bless my brothers and sisters, you know, anything that may be going on in their lives right now, where they just need to apply their identity, their authority to break through. We just want to bless that. We want to be behind that. And we just ask for your word, your, your will to be revealed. We can't move without your revelation. So we just ask for your revelation in those places. Yeah, Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.